This speaker has been recorded at an online meeting of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. You can email us at contact at aeainfo.org. So uh, the first Friday of the month at this meeting, we have a speaker. So tonight's speaker is Janelle. Thanks, Janelle. Thanks, Kay. My name is Janelle and I'm an addictive eater and I'm very grateful to be at the meeting. And um, I was just thinking about, you know, what was I going to share and just thinking back to my earliest memories around food. And I wasn't, I wasn't born with an off switch where food is concerned and I still haven't got an off switch. But what I've been given is a daily reprieve um, by my higher power so um, just thinking back to um, being being a preschool I was probably four and I can remember being given I'm not sure whether it was mine or whether it was my younger sister's a little um, play set of pots and pans tiny tiny little ones um, they were metal and I can remember dragging a chair over to the bench and popping them on the stove and turning the element on and putting something in it to cook. And, and I just knew that um, I wasn't going to, I didn't do pretend food. I just knew that if you put something in that pot, you could cook it and you could eat it. And I'm not sure how far, I can't imagine mum let me go the whole way and, and you know, cook something, but I can certainly remember knowing what to do with that pot and knowing that you put food in it and you're gonna you're gonna eat it and um, my other memory about that time is we had uh, we were given um, vitamin orange flavored vitamin c tablets and fluoride tablets because the water wasn't fluoride um, fluoridated in Timaru and climbing up to the top cupboard because they're in the top cupboard because you know you don't want your children to get them but I got the chair and got into the top cupboard and ate, I'm not sure how many of the fluoride tablets. They were, they were ghastly. They were horrible things, but I ate them. And the vitamin C tablets, I ate them as well. So that was the end of the vitamin C and the fluoride for the whole family because, you know, mum just stopped getting them after that. So I just always, 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 always was food focused. And... Um, I can remember primary school um, with my friend um, sneaking sugar from the kitchen and going down and getting rhubarb stems and going behind the garage and dipping the rhubarb, breaking the end off the rhubarb, dipping it in the sugar and, and eating that. So just um, just food, food focus, taking money out of mum's purse to go to the shop to buy lollies, um, and then eating them on the way home and then sitting down to have my tea. And sometimes um, mum would send me around and you could get pieces of um, sort of a, a cream filled sponge and that was going to be for the lunches. So of course I had to run my finger around it before it got home, getting the, the fresh bread from the dairy and nibbling all around the bottom of the crust because it wasn't sliced and it wasn't wrapped. So every sandwich would have had the two bottom corners missing out of the sandwich because I'd nibbled my way around the bottom of the, the loaf. So um, I was a little food-seeking missile from the word go. Um, 
Um, so as a consequence, you know, of that eating, I was overweight as a child and obese as an adult. Um, children's parties, um, I, I wasn't there for the games. I couldn't wait until the food started. And the, you know, the, the worst game of all was the chocolate game where you had to put the hat and the scarf and the gloves on and you had to throw a six. And if you got the six, then it was your turn. And then you had to eat the chocolate with the knife and fork. And then someone else would throw a six. So you had to take all that off and pass it to them. And, and you know, the, the, the nearly getting there, but then having to take, take it all off because someone else had got the six, you know, and... I was, I was just there for the food. I wasn't there to play games or celebrate anyone's birthday. Um, so that was, that was sort of the, the makings of my eating, which just carried on um, through my life. I um, left school and went to work in a bakery and said, um, oh, prior to that, baking at home for the lunches, so-called for the lunches, and I'd eat the, the creamed butter and sugar and then I'd eat the mixture raw and then I'd burn my tongue on it when it came out of the oven and then later on when I had my own home and I was baking I'd generally have to make a double mixture because by the time I'd eaten it in all forms um, there needed to be a double mixture for there to be enough for, for anyone else to eat so got a job in a bakery and I said to myself I'm not going to eat anything I'm not going to eat anything from the anywhere so that lasted till probably a day and a half and um was my job to ice the slices and the biscuits and the cakes and things and I justified my eating that when when there was a big slice and you had to trim the crusts off it that eating those trimmings wasn't eating because I was I was just eating the crusts and that wasn't eating and if I ate savouries out of the cooler that were cold, well, that wasn't eating because they were cold savouries. They weren't hot savouries, so that wasn't a savoury. Um, if I had a sausage roll out of the pie warmer and I just ate the pastry, well, that wasn't eating the sausage roll. I was only eating the pastry. So I had all these warped ideas in my, my mind that, that justified my eating. Um, sneaking food, stealing food from there. I could walk with a tray of apple shortcake from my bench out to the shop, which was about four metres. And in the, the bit where you went through the curtain, I could inhale a piece of apple slice and even and swallow it without chewing and then carry on my way out. And, you know, that was the little blind spot that I knew no one could see me. So, um, so just, um, you know, I was, I was, my whole life I was either eating food or thinking about what I was going to eat next and um, as a consequence of that eating as I said you know I was I was obese as an adult and um, thought from my mid-teens that when I'm a normal size I won't want to eat all the time I'll be fixed and um, I'll suddenly know how to do life because I didn't know how you did life I'd felt like I was born without the instruction manual and I'd know how you had a boyfriend because I didn't know how you did that and I'd know what job I wanted to do and I'd know how to have friends because I didn't know how you had friends um, and um, life sort of happened 
over there just out of reach it was somewhere over there and I was over here and it was like there was a wall between me and and life happening and I just knew miraculously well I thought that that would miraculously all sort itself out when I um when I was a normal size and I can remember in primary school as a you know 10 year old thinking well when I got got to intermediate um which is sort of I don't know middle school um when I got to intermediate I'd life would be better and and then life at intermediate wasn't any better and I thought well, when I get to high school life would be better and and I don't know many 10 year olds that are thinking that life will get better I think they're just doing life and playing and doing things but I was I just thought life's got to be better you know something's got to be better well it will be better I just thought it will be better and then as when I you know got to my mid-teens I thought well, when I'm a normal size it will be better and um, I had a depression in my sixth form year and um, carried on with that depression through my life really um, but looking back now it was just basic complete self-centeredness um, so I um, I got married I married the first um, the first chap that asked me out because I thought well no one else will have me so um, I better grab him and, and I didn't particularly like him but I thought well no one else will have me and um, thought well um, we'd had our own home and then I because I'd lived at home until I got married and mum would say to me don't you think you've had enough to eat and um, when I had my own home it was just open slather because there was no one there to to, um, to sort of look and see my eating and she wouldn't have seen she would have seen a fraction of my eating because I you know ate at night time I stole food out of the cupboards um, so then I've got my own my own home and um, my ex-husband worked night shifts so I could do a lot of eating at night time when he wasn't there and I'd have um, I'd be backwards and forwards to the freezer and I'd have a teaspoon and I'd have a teaspoon of ice cream and I'd go back and then I'd be backwards and forwards and then half the container of ice cream would have gone and I thought but I've only had a teaspoon I've only had a teaspoon yes but you've been backwards and forwards 10 times I didn't see that so um so I became more and more obese and the more I ate and the bigger I was the worse I felt and the worse I felt the more I ate so I was becoming bigger and my life was becoming smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where um, I could barely answer the telephone or go out the door because I knew that people knew that I ate too much and um, so along with my eating which was the first half of the first step which was all I could see that was wrong with me um, had no idea about the unmanageability of my life and looking back that unmanageability was far and away bigger than my eating ever was and um, it was just sitting in meetings and relating to people talking about how their lives used to be and that they weren't like that anymore and um, heard a lot about fear and 
realized after you know a few months coming that that squirmy feeling I had in my stomach that I thought was hunger was actually fear and I would eat and it would go away and I think oh well I must you know I was obviously hungry but there's no way that anyone who ate as frequently in the vast quantities of food that I ate was ever 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 going to be hungry and then started the sort of the joining the dots of the you know that the crippling fear the the um being taken to preschool and thinking well mum's not coming back to get me so having to sit looking at the door the whole time thinking she's not coming back to get me and and um getting to high school and um my wheels fell off basically in the third form because I just couldn't I couldn't do high school it was too much of a, a change and I um I just I couldn't cope and you know the fear from that um, caused me to have alopecia and I had a, a bald spot my hair um, on the back of my head fell out so um, you know I was already self-conscious about my weight so now I've got a bald patch on the top of my head so you know I was doubly self-conscious and you know my eating is just increasing and um so along with that, there's the, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the hopelessness and despair, really, which had always, always, always been in my life. And um, what, what got me to the program was at 32 going to a diet club and losing weight and getting to a normal size. And people saying, gosh, you look wonderful. You must feel great. And I felt no different on the inside. And I knew then in the heart of hearts that whatever was wrong with me a diet wasn't the answer to what was wrong with me and um, I walked around for about a fortnight saying you know well what is the answer and I believe that my higher power heard and um, found the, a library a display of um, information at a local library and picked a 14 a 15 questions pamphlet up and ticked 14 out of 15 of those and took it home and showed my ex-husband and said you know I said and he said I says oh do you think this sounds like me and he says oh no you're not that bad because no one saw the amount of food that I needed to eat it was all done in secret and um, so I rang the number and went and spoke to someone or she spoke to me and um, invited me to a meeting which I came to and um, here for the first time were the people who were like me because I thought I was the only one in the world who ate the way I ate and you know I'd been to the doctor I'd tried um, I'd tried diets but you know by morning tea I couldn't I couldn't hold on any longer I couldn't hold the dam back and um, tried diet pills from the doctor which I loved and I knew that I'd better not go back and get any more of those diet pills. Um, hadn't done counselling or therapy because I couldn't tell anyone about my eating and the way, the way I and the way I felt about myself, the the self hatred and the self loathing. Um, so here were a room full of people, and they just looked like normal people. They were happy and chatting and there was something about them that was really really attractive 
to me and um, I knew I was home. I knew that this was my tribe and I kept, well, I started coming. I came for a couple of weeks and we needed to get a babysitter because um, my ex-husband had overtime and I thought, well, I, I can do this. I've come for a couple of weeks and um, I had a cleaning job at that time and they had some sort of snack boxes it was after hours and they had snack boxes that the staff could buy things out of and I started eating and I ate the whole snack box and ate for five days when I went back to my um no one two for three days I ate for three days and on the Tuesday was my weigh-in because I was still going to the diet club and I'd put on five kgs in three days and um, I knew that there was no limit to the amount that I could eat and um, that was constant eating 24-7 and um, my jaw ached and my stomach hurt but I had to keep eating and thankfully the lady who 12-stepped me gave me a ring because she hadn't seen me and um, I said I think I need to come back and I'm so grateful that I did come back and um you know, became willing to do um, what what we need to do to, to be sober and to live well lives. And um, so it's interesting, you know, interesting journey. I came for, I wasn't eating and all because all I could see that was wrong with me was the weight and I had a food plan and I thought, well, that's it, I'm, I'm fixed. And then 15 months later, I woke up one morning, it was a good Friday, and I just had this radio station screaming in the head. And I thought, oh, my God, this thing's in my head. It's, it's my thinking. It's not what goes in the mouth. It's, it's in the head. And I just got out of bed, and I'm just on my knees saying, beside the bed saying to God, you've got to fix me. You've got to do this because I can't. I can't do this and for me I believe that was was a turning point it was a surrender and knowing that I couldn't I couldn't do it and I was beyond human aid and um, I waited you know a few hours to ring my sponsor and she said we'll go to a lunchtime meeting and in between that five o'clock and the 12 o'clock meeting I, I felt much better actually and oh well I don't I don't really need to go to a meeting now because I'm, I'm really, really much better. Oh, well, I told my sponsor I'd go, so I'd better go. So I got to the meeting and, you know, it's just one of the, the miracles of this program. And there was a chap there who said, I've got a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. And I thought, well, that was my experience, you know, and I just knew I became willing then to do the things that I hadn't really been willing to do. I was... My sponsor would say, are you ringing people? And I'd say, yes, hand on my heart. I could say I was ringing people. But I rang the people I knew who were going to be at work because I didn't actually want to talk to them. And um, I became willing to talk to the people, just to ring and do every single thing because all of a sudden I was mad. I was absolutely mad, um, completely mad. And sitting in a meeting gave me an hour and a half's reprieve and all I could do was to not pick up the first one get to a meeting and put my head on the pillow and if I hadn't done that 
that was a good day. And the obsession was, you know, the obsession out was about seven out of, 700 out of 100, just that constant, 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 constant wanting to eat. And, and um, I just had to be on my knees. I just had to be praying. I just had to be meditating until it passed. And um, being willing to, to go to any lengths, doing a fourth and fifth step. And, um, but the fear didn't leave me. The fear, the fear of eating again. I couldn't, I couldn't say I was in recovery. I couldn't, I couldn't trust that the problem had been removed because um, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. So that led me eight years into recovery to trying to end my life. I couldn't do the third step is what the problem was. I couldn't hand the will in my life over to the care of God because I thought I had to be 310, do everything 310% perfectly or I was going to eat. And um, so as a consequence of that, um, thankfully I wasn't successful and um, I spent time in a psychiatric hospital and the day that I went there, so here was someone whose biggest fear that was that the problem hadn't been removed and they were going to eat again. So um, it was a Friday and I got taken there about lunchtime and um, heard, showed, showed to my room and heard someone say, oh good, it's fish and chips for tea. And I thought, oh my gosh, here I am. I can't, I can't prepare my food plan. I'm completely powerless over this situation. I'm completely powerless over my food. And I just said to God, well, if it's fish and chips for tea, it's fish and chips for tea. And if the problem's been, well, actually, I didn't even think that. I just thought if it's fish and chips for tea, I got to trust that I'll be all right. And, um, so came to tea time and um, I think there were about 18 people on the ward and 18, oh, 17 people um, ordered fish and chips. I hadn't made my order because it, you ordered it the day before, so I was just having fish and chips. And then a vegetarian meal came that nobody had ordered. No one on that ward ordered a vegetarian meal. So I had a vegetarian meal, which was closer to my food plan than um, fish and chips were. And then I just had that knowing from that moment that whatever happened to me, it was going to be all right. Because I, I certainly hadn't ordered that vegetarian meal, but it arrived. And, you know, I was looked after, you know, I've been looked after from that time on. So that was the beginning of the trust and the faith when I was in a situation that I could only pray over and um, develop that knowing that whatever happened, it was going to be all right. So, um, and it's, you know, it's ironic that the things I worried about when I was eating, crippled by what would happen and the, what if this happened and what if that happened and then, you know, what's going to happen to me? Far, far worse things have happened in recovery than ever happened when I was eating. And I've been looked after and um, my children, I, I left my marriage and my children, they were uh, 15 and 18. They wouldn't speak to me and um, I didn't see them or 
talk to them for eight months and I knew I couldn't fix that either. I could not, if I was going to get in there and try and fix that, that relationship with them, I just knew I would make it worse. I just had to leave it. And um, I saw them on Christmas Day. They came to my parents' house Christmas Day. And then shortly, a few days later, they, they came to my flat. And um, from then on, you know, we've developed a loving, you know, a, a loving parent, you know, child, they're, they're men now, but, you know, I've got a lovely relationship with them. And I just knew that was something I couldn't fix either. And, um, you know, into all intents and purposes today, I've got what looks like a very, very normal life, which starts with getting out of bed, um, having the breakfast, cleaning the teeth, getting dressed. Well, that certainly never happened when I was, you know, when I was in the food. I wasn't able to do my job. Um, I'd turn up right on time and I'd leave a few minutes early. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work. I'd think, well, my attitude was, well, you're jolly lucky to have me. Don't expect me to work. You're lucky I've turned up. So, you know, that's not my attitude today either. And I can be you know I can be a mother and a, a nana and a, a sister I couldn't be a sister I felt like I was an only child I've got two younger sisters you know I can support my parents who are aging um, who are you know thrilled to see me you know I can be in a in a loving relationship today um, think of other people and I guess that's a really big thing um, because I was just crippled by self, you know, my, you know, my attitude was, I never asked to be born, you know, it's, it's all mum's fault, because I never asked to be born, so that gave me the chip on my shoulder, which allowed me to do what I wanted, and, you know, to know that today I've got a fellowship that I belong to, and belong in, and, um, you know, the fellowship is my kin, and, um, through hearing other people's recovery and seeing their recovery, I've learned how to do life. And having a higher power today who does for me what I can't do for myself because, um, you know, I'm still a, a food addict, but I'm given a daily reprieve. And um, that higher power hasn't let me down yet. And... Um, you know, sometimes things, you know, there's transitions and there's new things happen and, you know, but I'm sure how all this is going to go. But I just basically do the next thing in front of me because um, I'm not, you know, I'm not running my life. You know, I've got my belief that, that my higher power wants what's best for me and... Um, and develop that conscious contact through meditation and prayer and um, the comfort, you know, that, that brings in the stability of having that faith that, you know, I don't have to, you know, I'm not the one flying the plane today. I'm the one down the back serving the drinks and I let God fly the plane. And, you know, my best efforts at running my life got me here. That's how good I am, you know, at running my life and, you know, grateful for sponsorship, that there's someone who um, I can run things past and has got my best interests at heart. And it's not always what I want to hear, but it's what I need to hear. And, um, 
you know, I haven't been put wrong um, thus far. And, you know, I just know that if I do tomorrow what I've done today, that I'll have another sober day. And, you know, life, life continues to get better. It was, for me, at the end of my eating, it was a, a black tunnel. Life was a black tunnel getting darker and blacker and narrow, narrower. And today it's the reverse. It gets you know, lighter and brighter, and I get lighter and brighter. I'm not so caught up in myself, and um, you know, it opens out. And um, you know, just encourage anyone who's new, just just to keep coming, and um, you know, the miracle will happen for you too. So, um, thank you for the opportunity to share.